Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's Talking Biotech podcast by Calabra. Now, I remember how excited I was about 20 years ago, 15 years ago, when I learned that I'd be able to spit in a tube, mail it off somewhere, and learn about my potential genetic predispositions and something about my actual ancestry. Then I heard about 23andMe, and I was kind of disappointed because as a diploid human, maybe this wasn't for me. Haha, <laughs> ploidy joke. But 23andMe and other such services have emerged. And, and I've been enamored by the fact that for the cost of a dinner for two at Applebee's, you can take a deep dive into your genetic variants. Now, it's exciting to learn that we can gain some insight into how we maintain specific variants that associate with discrete diseases, maybe sensitivity to drugs, maybe food ingredients like caffeine, things like that. More information is better, because with that information, we can tailor our lifestyles and maybe even take preventative measures if we harbor variants that are suggestive of some sort of disorder. And this is good stuff. The more information, the better. And I personally feel that we're seeing the future of medicine that starts with the analysis of the blueprint that makes us, us. We'll learn more about this today from Dr. Joyce Tung. She's the Vice President for Research at 23andMe. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Tung. Thank you, Kevin. Yeah, I'm really excited about this one because I've been a fan of 23andMe long before it was even a service that was available. So I can remember back to the days when it was still an argument with the regulators as to whether this kind of approach could even be used. And I thought this was the best thing in the world, that this is going to be a great way and another step towards personalized medicine. So let's start talking about the technology itself. Can you give me a rough idea of how you obtain the data from the sample that we provide? And is this just like an amplification and then sequencing of discrete targets or exome sequencing? Or, or is this a whole genome sequencing at this part at this point? So it's actually um, a genotyping microarray that we're using to get genetic data from people's samples. So the microarray actually investigates specific known variants in the human genome. And the reason we use it is that it really provides the best bang for the buck, which is really important when you're talking about a consumer product. Yeah, I guess that does make sense. But the problem with the microarray is that you can only really interrogate what you know are the variants, right? So, so are these based upon variants that are known associations with different diseases or sensitivities or habits, behaviors? Yeah, so when it's actually a custom version of an Illumina microarray. And so we use sort of the genome-wide backbone that's like standard in some of these arrays, but we also include a bunch of custom content, generally variants that we know have genetic associations with different conditions and traits, as well as other variants that we believe have biological significance. Yeah, and also variants that have geneological <laughs> significance, right? Because you're That's also right. 
Yeah, you're also able to trace, which is just a fascinating part of the 23andMe experience. And I, I, I really think that's a neat tool. Um, so uh, how, how much does the company really weigh interest in kind of that ancestry side versus the uh, disease and drug sensitivity side? That's a great question. I think the, the attitude that we've always taken towards it is that we are trying to help people understand more about themselves using genetics, right? And so we really want to give people a very holistic picture. One of the nice things about ancestry is that it's something that people already associate with DNA. And so in many ways, it's much more accessible and understandable for people as an entry point to their genetics. Um, but in terms of what we think is really the biggest long-term benefit to society, I think it is likely to be in health, right? Really trying to help people understand more about their health risks, you know, what, they, what drugs they may or may not be sensitive to, so that they can make better decisions about, you know, how they want to live their lives. Yeah, that, that's it's really important. And I, I love the fact that that you mentioned that the ancestry angle is really a gateway in. The problem is, is that a lot of folks like my mom um, refused to believe the data (laughs) (laughs) because it, it, because it contrasted with what, you know, oral history was handed down for three generations. She, uh, you know, refused to believe what the DNA is telling her from a thousand generations. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everybody has, you know, multiple lines of evidence they're really trying to put together to get to that real picture. Yeah. But I, I'm, I'm with you though. I'm aboard on this thing and I was an early adopter. I probably signed up as soon as it was available. Uh, how has the whole process though changed since the beginning, or is it really just an expansion of the original concept? I think largely it's been an expansion of the original concept, right? You know, we've, you know, I think in the beginning, we, we were really seen as kind of weird outsiders, right? An aberration, perhaps not to be taken too seriously by the scientific or medical communities, right? People want to know, how can you really meaningfully deliver genetic results to people without the aid of a clinician? That doesn't make any sense. You want to do research with your customers? I mean, we don't really think you know what you're doing. So, I mean, really, I think the, the thing that we've had to fight for over the years is credibility, Right. Physicians might dismiss us. Scientists might refuse to collaborate with us. And of course, we kind of got that famous warning letter from the FDA. Oh, I, I don't know about this. What, what's the famous warning letter? Uh, well, in 2013, we got a warning letter from the FDA because they felt that the data that we were giving made it a product that they should be able to regulate. And so, you know, we learned that, you know, in This is not a way in which we were actually an outsider. It was something that we had to really kind of go through the process of working with them so that they we could all understand how to regulate it appropriately. And I think it's really overall been a great, I think, learning experience for us and really made the product better in the long term. And now we can say we were the first FDA authorized consumer genetic test. Yeah, well, I kind of got news for everybody involved is that, you know, these are the kinds of new questions that we're going to have to answer and have to address from a regulatory and a business standpoint as we look at new technology. And it's just going to have to be dealt with every time we come to that precipice. Isn't that true about so many areas of genetics these days? Oh, it's 100% true. I mean, I have a lot of sympathy for the regulatory groups because they're really contending with such like a huge 
sea of change in technology and you know what is the right way to address that without stifling innovation and so i think you know we've really worked to have a very collaborative relationship where you know we can work together to figure out what is the right way to ensure that people are getting really high quality information and at the same time really help people be able to benefit from all the new technological advances that are coming out and and the the benefits really are on the technology side and so many good things can come from this but how can you think about the business journey of 23 and me over the last 15 years like some of the challenges that were faced as a business venture and and some of the opportunities that were taken advantage of yeah no it's an interesting question right it's as you as you watch the company evolve over time i think one of the big challenges is that there were so many interesting opportunities, interesting possibilities that we could pursue, what were we going to focus on? And I think, you know, the thing that has been core for us all these years is that the consumer is really at the heart of everything we do. And so as we make decisions or make choices, we ask ourselves, like, what is actually going to be most helpful for them? What would they want, right? And so I think, you know, the consumer product has been a core of that. But also, as we've done research, we've really tried to craft a research program that treats our participants as partners in the process, where it's much more balanced. And I think by doing that, we've been able to be quite successful in the amount of data that we collect, the number of studies that we've powered, the number of collaborations that we've been able to do. And the way you're talking about it, it seems like this is an evolution in progress, that the arrays are continually being updated as new variant information becomes available, that kind of thing? Yeah, we have, you know, updated the array multiple times over the years, because as you know, like the genetics field doesn't stand still. There are new associations being made and found all the time. And so over the years, we have updated as we've learned in the process. And how has that really changed? I mean, the use of genomics has gone, you know, haywire in the last 15 years. And so is there more of a um, relationship with other entities like pharma companies and others that can help you as well as you help them in terms of uh, identifying relationships between specific variants and, say, sensitivities to drugs or maybe, you know, ver- uh, associations with disease? Yeah, and I think one thing we're really excited about is the opportunity to use genetics to make drug development more efficient. So there's good data to suggest that drug targets that are supported by genetic evidence are two to three times more likely to succeed. And so I think that is something that's been a big change in the way that a lot of pharma companies are thinking about it. Like I remember, you know, around 15 years ago, We had an early conversation with a big pharma company. I think we were talking to their biomarker department and they said that most of their colleagues didn't want any biomarkers or anything to touch their drugs with a 10 foot pole because finding out that their drug would only work in a subset of people with a disease would immediately diminish their market. Um, So I think, you know, that mindset might still persist amongst some, but in general, I've definitely observed a pretty significant change in the attitude and degree of investment into genetics and genomics in ARMA. Um, There's some companies that have made really significant investments into genetics, like Regeneron, Amgen, GSK. 
Um, you can also see how many pharma companies have supported biobanks like UK Biobank and Our Future Health. So there's definitely more interest and openness to the idea that genetics can provide a window into human biology. Yeah, I think that that's a fascinating part of this is the idea that you or I mean, any of us may be genotyped and analyzed before we show up at our physician's doorstep and that our physician will understand maybe some of the ways to interpret some of the symptoms we're displaying or perhaps drug sensitivities they may be prescribing. So to me, it seems like the pharma companies would be really excited about this. I think some people are, but I mean, you know, you're looking at two two systems that are very, very big and very, very entrenched in the way things are, right? Pharma being one and healthcare being another, right? So, you know, it's going to take some time and effort to really change the way that people think about that, right? Are we going to be stratifying people into different risk groups based on genetic and other data? Are we going to be treating them differently, right? And you know, a lot of these, there's a lot of these groups are fairly risk averse and, you know, for good reason, right? We're talking about people's health here. Um, and so I think it's going to take more work to evaluate the benefits and costs of integrating this information into precision medicine. And I, I know that when I get the emails from 23andMe that say, you know, could you update your information, you know, personal information, like, you know, how do you feel after a cup of coffee or do you get tired after you, you know, run a mile? All the questions, like weird questions you ask. What were some of the big surprises um, that maybe came from the interrogation of the 23andMe participants? Yeah. You know, I think personally as a geneticist, I've always felt that most traits have some sort of genetic component. It's large in some cases and small in others. Um, and I've seen the results of a lot of genetic association studies now. So I'm not too surprised about what pops up anymore. But if I, if I can give like a genetics geek answer, I think the thing that I was most impressed by is what we've been able to find in rare disease. Because traditionally, like the genetics of rare disease are studied in families like particularly in multiplex families with like multiple people with the disease. A lot of times they're using sequencing because you're expecting to find rare variants. But we've been able to use case control designs with genotype data in these genome-wide association studies and has success in multiple rare diseases. And I didn't expect that. And I think it's really cool. Yeah. Like, uh, like what's a good example? So, um, I don't know that we've published many of these yet because they're still fairly early, but really like just taking a rare disease, people coming in and saying, you know, I have, you know, typing into the survey, like I have this disease. Maybe you really only have like 400, 500 people with the disease, but just looking at the array data, being able to pick up the likely gene that's underlying the condition. And certainly uh... we've been able to replicate a lot of the other findings that are out there. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So um, how do you, and I, I kind of tipped you know, the hat a little bit on this earlier about using genomics data before you would visit a physician, but how do you really foresee the integration of genomics in the design of personalized medicine going forward? So, I mean, I think one of the, the big opportunities is really stratifying people into different groups, right? Who's at risk of developing a disease, who's more likely to benefit from a particular drug, who's likely to experience faster disease progression. And then it really 
becomes a question of like, what's the best way to like manage that risk, right? So I think some of the interesting problems here include integrating genetic information with established clinical risk factors that are already being used. Also integrating other types of like non-genetic data to really provide like the most complete picture possible. And then integrating all of that into the normal clinical workflow, right? Because it's pretty, people are pretty tight on time. You know, they have these tools that they use to assess risk and figure out what to do. How do you ensure that genetics is intelligently incorporated into that? And then demonstrating that doing it this way is better than what we're doing today. Yeah, and we'll talk more about the integration on the other side of the break. We're talking with Dr. Joyce Tung. She's the Vice President of Research at 23andMe. And this is the Talking Biotech Podcast by Calabra. And we'll be back in just a moment. And now we're This episode is brought to you by Calabra, the data monitoring platform designed to reveal research insights and streamline reporting across your organization. With Calabra, you'll gain a comprehensive view of your research workflows, simplifying scientific IP governance, compliance, and analysis. Visit Calabra.app to learn how you can transform your research process today. C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P. Back on the Talking Biotech Podcast, we're speaking with Dr. Joyce Tung. She's the Vice President of Research at 23andMe, a company I followed for a long time, and both me and my wife are subscribers, and um, I buy it as a gift for people because <laughs> I really think it's cool, and that's been one of these fun things that uh, that really helps me understand more about myself. So that's been really... I also found out that I don't have any particularly crazy risk variants, which is really good to know. So um, back to the the process, and how is 23andMe thinking about genetic data to really understand and combat highly penetrant diseases like sickle cell disease? Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the most important things that I've learned about like gaps and disparities in healthcare is that often the problem is not that we don't know how to help people, but rather that most people are not getting the gold standard of care. So like sickle cell disease is an interesting example because even though we know what genetic variants put people at risk and there's newborn screening and there are even some emerging, emerging though very expensive still like treatments, most sickle cell trait carriers don't know that they're carriers. So I feel like this is a case in which knowledge is power. Knowledge of their carrier status enables people to better understand and prepare for medical challenges that their families might face, or it might encourage them to participate in research. Yeah, that's uh, that's really true, um, and and it's great to just understand and to, that understand that your carrier is is huge news, especially as you begin to uh, start to you know meet other people and think about reproducing. I mean, I know they test after you conceive, um, yeah. but they probably don't do it ahead of time enough, right? With some folks. So, so how is 23andMe diversifying research participants and really um, seeking to address racial inequity among genetic testing? Yeah. I mean, obviously, and we've talked about this a lot in various forums, a big gap in the div genetic diversity of participants who have participated in genetic studies. And I think obviously one of the multiple issues at play here is that there has been historical mistreatment of many underrepresented groups, including the Black community. 
And that's really eroded the trust that those groups have in the biomedical establishment. I mean, if you've already been marginalized, then you really worry about participating in something that might be used to marginalize you further. So as we work to build our sickle cell status carrier initiative, in which we're really giving away kits to people in communities where sickle cell is more common, we've really sought to partner with trusted entities in those communities and focused on projects that are a what we call win-win-win. That is, it's a win for the community, a win for the partner, and a win for 23andMe. It's really important in these cases that all the groups have a voice in designing the collaboration. Everybody understands what the motivations are here and ensure that everybody benefits in the way that they want to. Yeah, that's really great. So can you tell me a little bit more about the Sickle Cell Status Carrier Initiative and maybe some of the partnerships that you've built with different trusted communities or different leaders? So, you know, a couple of the um, really important partnerships for us, one is with an advocacy group called Breaking the Sickle Cell Cycle. So um, this is led by Dr. Lamitra Scott, who has a child with sickle cell disease, and she's really interested in raising awareness of people's uh, sickle cell trait carrier status. And so she's been an incredible resource in terms of getting the message out and connecting us with other people. Um, we've also done a partnership with the Morehouse School of Medicine, which is obviously a super well-respected and well-known um, you know, entity in the Black community. And so we've done an event with them where we brought in speakers, we gave away kits. And so we're actually you know, using the initiative to help people learn about their status you know, through the 23andMe product. And if they choose to do so, they can also participate in research. And so in this way, you know, we want both to have, give people the opportunity to learn, and if they feel like it, they can also participate in research. Well, the other side of this is really the ostrich effect, right? There are people who don't want to know what genetic underlying issues they may have. Um, you've heard this with folks who have Huntington's, for instance, you know, you, you can genetically identify folks who have a higher likelihood of developing uh, different forms of the disease. And how, how much does 23andMe think about how we deliver or how you deliver the information to get people excited about this as a tool to help them rather than, you know, something they should be nervous about? Yeah, I mean, I think you're really hitting the nail on the head there in terms of helping people understand, you know, what they're getting and what it means. I mean, we generally say that genetic testing is not for everyone, and people who don't want to know shouldn't do 23andMe. But in general, our goal is to really empower people and make them feel empowered, right? We want to help people understand that genetics is really just part of the picture, and that having this knowledge will enable them to make more informed choices about how they want to manage their lives. Yeah, I mean, it's a really good point. And I think it's a really selling point for me is if I know I have a higher propensity for a certain issue, I might get it checked more often or may, you know, revise lifestyle to help work around it. And it just seems empowering, but I never really get that sense from any of the advertisements, not just of 23andMe, but other services that offer this kind of home 
uh, I don't want to say diagnostic, but this home uh, genetic testing. And, and is is there a reason for that? Or does it look like that maybe something that's more incorporated going forward? I think moving forward, you know, we really want to help people learn how they can take action on these results. I mean, I think it's something that we've heard from our customers from the very early days, which is like, it's really useful to know that I'm at risk for something, but what should I do about it, right? And I think it goes a little bit back to your question earlier about like, well, how do we integrate genetics into clinical care? But I think even in the context of consumer genetic testing, what we really want to help people do is say, okay, you know, this is where you are. This is where you are today. This is, you know, your genetic risk. Here are some things that you personally could do that might reduce that risk. And actually recently we launched a new feature called Health Tracks, where, you know, you can look at your risk of developing a disease, you know, over your lifetime, you know, generally risks go up with age. But then we also show you, hey, if you have a healthy lifestyle, it actually decreases your risk. Or if you have an unhealthy lifestyle, it can increase your risk. So we just want to like really illustrate for people like, yes, you know, you have this genetic risk, but you also have a lot of control over what might happen next and really just encouraging people to feel like they have the power. Yeah, that's really good. There's also the question though of risk and how people interpret risk. And I know that when I've uh, been on my 23andMe data set and I'll uh, go to click on a certain variant and it'll say, before you open this, you need to understand that there's, you know, there's some language that's there that kind of diminishes how someone may overinterpret risk. And so how much time really goes into trying to educate the consumer about what they're actually seeing versus how clinically relevant it really is? Oh my gosh, so, so much time. So, you know, one of the things that the consumer product folks on the team taught me very early is that unlike me, most people are not interested in the super nitty gritty details about the genetics. People want like a clearly stated punchline. So we've gone through many, many, many rounds of user testing to come up with an information architecture that enables a really high level of comprehension across a wide range of education levels. Ultimately, the key is to identify the most important concepts of which there cannot be too many and make sure that those are clear and front and center and then layer the other supporting information underneath. So for the people who are looking for more details or looking for understanding you know, why this should be credible, it's there, but we're not trying to overwhelm people with all the details right at the top. Yeah, because the people, as you know, are really bad at uh, understanding risk, especially the lay folks who may be doing this. And a two in a hundred thousand chance is not zero. That's right. <laughs> and I, I really do see how this would be a very difficult line to walk for 23andMe. But I guess the other side of this is uh, what's happening in computational analysis. And this gets you know bigger and bigger every day. And the you know, letters AI are in everybody's uh, vernacular now. And so how has AI and machine learning, how has that been used by 23andMe? And how do you really address all of the over-expectations that AI can really build into new discussion in biotech? Yeah. You know, I think we're like very careful, possibly too careful about not leaning into the hype around 
ML, deep learning, AI. I mean, I've just seen too many cycles of hype and disparagement around different technologies to really want to participate a lot in that. But that being said, I mean, we are in a pretty fortunate situation of having a lot of data to train and test models on. So for us, the question is always, what is the best tool for the problem? So we've used various ML and AI tools for things like imputation of missing data, finding biological signatures, disease prediction, and more. Um, and we are really interested in the new language models. We'll just see where they can be useful. And the other place where computational analysis and, and other types of interrogation of data sets comes in, came in through last week's podcast guest, and he was with the Missouri State Crime Lab. And he said that uh, 23andMe or other databases are accessible to interrogation through, uh, to resolve crime. And that sure you can opt out as an individual, but most people don't do it. And so how much does that open up questions of privacy and how your data are being used in, in other ways? Yeah, no, great question. So, I mean, just to be clear, because I think sometimes there's confusion about the different genetic testing companies that do have different policies on this. 23andMe does not share information with law enforcement. So we're not really helping them with these kinds of investigations. We were the first consumer genetic testing company to publish a transparency report, which was back in 2015. And we've never produced any individual level user data to law enforcement without that individual's explicit consent. You know, one of our guiding principles is that our customers should be able to control their own data and choose how it's used. So there are some people who have chosen to download their data and then upload it to a publicly available database called GEDmatch. And people use that to look for additional relatives in a platform agnostic way. So there are publicly available databases that you know, law enforcement can use, but 23andMe does not share information directly with law enforcement. Very good. Okay. That's good to know. And I think he even got that wrong. Um, I, I'll have to go back and re-listen to that. But one point that he did open, and, and I really would love to hear your feedback on this because I never thought about this before. I'm an enthusiastic user of something like 23andMe. I liked it so much. I got my wife the same a, a package of this so that she could learn about her genetics. The th funny part is, is since then we've reproduced and now we have a daughter who if anyone were to go through a database, so obviously 23andMe is not involved here, but if if my data were to exist in a public database and my wife's were, now we've automatically placed our daughter in there because mm -hmm. she's a combination of both of our genetics. <laughs> I never yeah. really thought about that before. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think the family aspect of DNA is, you know, one of the most you know, important, interesting, valuable, and complicated aspects, right? Because, you know, if you put your data in a, in a public database, you know, that has some impact on your family members. And so I think the important thing for us is always about choice and transparency, right? So, you know, we should be as transparent as possible about what the potential consequences of any action that you take are, you know, within our product. And, Ultimately, though, we want to give people the choice to use their data as they see fit. And, and ultimately, I think, you know, how the different choices they make impact their family 
is something that they have to be discussing with their families. Oh, very good. It's, it's very true. What's really exciting going forward? I mean, associations are going crazy with genomic associations with specific variants. We find them, you know, new in the journals every single day. And so what's, what's really exciting at 23andMe going forward? Yeah, I mean, for me, and this has always been true, and I think it's true for a lot of people at 23andMe, we've always been driven by the applications of genetics, right? Like, how can we use the data that you've just been talking people to really help others benefit from the human genome? You know, we often say we want genetics to help people prevent what they can and manage what they can't. And that's why I love that we're both looking at integrating genetics into primary care and also integrating genetics into drug discovery and development. And if someone was, say, a student that was interested in this area of how they would get, you know, be able to be part of a company like 23andMe and be on the cutting edge of not just the science side, but maybe the social science side and the counseling side, uh, what would you advise they take or study in order to be perfect match for that career? It's a great question. Uh, you know, I mean, if I look at the people around, you know, there's actually, a, well, there's a fairly wide variety of backgrounds, you know, biology, psychology, epidemiology. Um, you know, there are people who have been trained as genetic counselors. We also have people who trained in computer science, bioinformatics, um, statistics. So I think the interesting thing for me coming from a more like traditional genetics training that was based in the lab and based in model organisms is that human genetics has become like a big data field, right? So people who are interested in, on the research side, I think would really benefit from learning how to code, learning about statistics, um, and I think that's to me is like the big difference from when I trained in genetics too long ago. And really to wrap it up, you're, you've been looking at massive amounts of human data that come into this company. And is there any kind of really interesting meta information that comes from analysis of, of thousands and thousands and thousands of human genomes? You know, I think one of the beauties of our platform is that it's relatively easy for us to ask about like a really broad range of phenotypes because we've made it easy for people to ask, answer a whole bunch of different questions. And one of the things that we started to observe very early on is that phenotypes exist on a spectrum, right? Like the line between what we consider to be normal variation, quote unquote, and what we consider to be a disease is pretty arbitrary. So studying a common trait can be really informative about the biology of a more rare disease. So like as an example, um, you know, the top genetic hit that we saw for stretch marks, which is like a very common thing, pointed to the gene for elastin, which when you delete it can cause a previously identified genetic syndrome. So this really broad data collection has been an interesting tool for us. You know, people think, oh, you're asking about mosquito bites. That's fun. It doesn't really have anything to do with anything, but actually it pulls up a lot of pathways and things like inflammation, you know, um, even some neural things. So I think there's just like studying the whole spectrum of human traits has been super fun and productive. Well, it gets me excited about the future and, and 
where this can go. And I, I just really adore that there are companies like this doing what you do. And it's really exciting. So if people want to learn more about 23andMe, where would they look online or maybe in social media? Yeah. So the best place with the most information is our website, www.23andMe.com. But we do also have a site aimed at scientists who might be interested in our publications or collaborating. And that's at research.23andMe.com. Very good. Well, Joyce Tung, thank you very much for joining me today on the podcast. I absolutely adore your service, and I am so excited that I was an early adopter and still look forward to looking at it whenever I can. So thank you very much for being with me today on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, and thanks for being a customer. And to everyone listening, thank you for listening to another episode of Collabra's Talking Biotech Podcast. Get excited about uh, 23andMe or any of the genetic testing services that you're interested in. They tell you a lot about you and can help inform your health decisions or even lifestyle choices because uh, so much of it has a foundation in genetics. So this is the Talking Biotech Podcast by Calabra, and we'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, scientists can work together in real time, sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at calabra.app, C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.